Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Ordinary People, Extraordinary Stories. I'm still your host, Tristan, and on today's episode, we got a real surprise for you. Our guest is the pure reason I started this podcast. Have you ever, like, ran across a coworker or someone you would see all the time but just never got to know? You would have, like, small talk with them, talk about, like, sports or, like, the latest movie, but you never, like, get to really know them. Like, if you really got a chance to talk to them, you'd find out maybe they moonlit as an artist or a writer, or they played in an Iron Maiden cover band. Now, for all I know is he wasn't in an Iron Maiden cover band, but he is a co-host on a music review podcast, a former teacher, and even a one-time documentary maker. His name is Andrew, and today we get to learn more about his crazy life and the one moment that changed it forever. So, if you're ready... Grab some stoner metal, tune in, set your primary care physician on speed dial, and get ready for another ordinary person with an extraordinary story. I probably should have asked you this before I record. Um, have you ever seen any, any of the episodes or kind of um, – they ever explained the format to you? I can't remember what we talked about last time I called you. Briefly. All right. I usually just like to have a little mini conversation before we just jump right into it. Uh, I was going to sure. ask uh, how was your fourth? Uh, it was pretty good. Um, my brother and his family, he has two sons, were here. Um, so we uh, either – I think we went to the we went to a pool that morning. Uh, and the kids could go some, and then we lit off some fireworks. Um, nothing, nothing crazy. We had sparklers. Um, <laughs> and then my, uh, my mother's participating in a drug trial in Augusta, Georgia. Okay. Uh, where I'm, I'm, they live right, right outside of Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. So she drove, uh, with an aide to go to the drug trial. And on the way back, she picked up some fireworks from, Probably from someone in just in a truck on the side of the road. That's hilarious. Because that's sort of how they roll down here. Hey, um, that that means they like to have fun. It's like, hey, you want to blow something up? It's like, yeah. Well, <laughs> so they were only going to get uh, like minor fireworks that spun or released smoke. Okay. Um, they ended up getting one. Th- so my my nephew is really into Captain America. Okay. Cool. And they had Captain America themed fireworks. <laughs> so we got those and we lit those and those had a little bit more uh, oomph to them. Those like whistled really loud and then shot up about 30 feet in the air. Okay. Um, so that was about the extent of how ex- uh, grand or extravagant the explosions got. Mostly it was just uh, pretty colors and smoke and then spinning around and then, uh, you know, I I don't think that's necessarily like a uneventful Fourth of July. I um I turned thirty this year, and uh, I was talking about this with somebody, and we went to an amusement park that had a fireworks show afterwards, and uh, me and my wife uh, we were there for like it was really really hot. We rode on a couple of rides. We had some junk food, and 
the fireworks show just started and she looked at me and said the sexiest thing she could say to me. She said, do you want to leave early so we can beat traffic? And <laughs> we just packed up and I mean, we got to see a little bit of the, the fireworks, but um, I don't know, it just kind of gets to the point where like, I think it's definitely like a kind of a younger oh, sure. kid kind of thing where it's like, sure. you know, I mean, don't worry, I'm a little pyro. I love making fire campfires and fires just cool in general, but like, I don't know. It's uh, how I'm mildly curious. How much did your uh, mom spend on the fireworks? Maybe like I, do, I uh, honestly I don't know. You know, down here you stop off at some stand. Um, it's probably pretty inexpensive, but um, but she got like a a, a brown paper bag full. <laughs> That's you know, it's the good stuff. So and the one of three of the sparklers she got were literally like three feet long. So it was um it was like really you know. It's, but it's funny you mentioned that um, about about can we leave early and beat the traffic home? When I uh, was teaching uh, high school, my most recent teaching position, one of the students asked me, "How do you know when you're an adult?" <laughs> um, you know, not you know. I, he said, obviously, when you're over eighteen, technically, you're not you're an adult. Um, and like, if you get married or have kids, but, but it's more asking like the state of mind kind of thing. It's like, how do you right, know, like- right? So I said to him, when you're willing to pay a little bit more money for comfort. Mm. So like, that's a good answer. If, if you were going to go from, we, we were in Virginia at the time. So if you were going to go from DC to New York as a kid, you'd be okay with taking a four hour bus trip and spending only like $40 on the ticket. As an adult, you'd spend the $200 on a flight that lasted 45 minutes and you'd be fine with spending the extra money, that's sort of how you know. Okay. So beating beating the traffic home uh, and leaving early is the adult response. Oh, and it was great because like it, it's like it's an amusement park with like, and it's I live in Portland. I'm on the West Coast, and it's not like it's a giant Six Flags that has like miles of parking. It's actually a fairly small parking lot, and I mean, gosh, it can take like an hour and thirty minutes just to oh, yeah, leave. Sure when people are trying to scramble and it, it, it was just great just to be able to pick up, go, got a little snack on the way home. And then. <laughs> yeah. To, the yeah. Comfort and ease begin to look more and more uh, palatable as you get older. Um, that, yep. That's true. And well, it, it's, it's also, interesting. I'm, I'm going to, um, in August, I'm going to visit a friend of mine uh, in Illinois. We're going to Springfield. Um, and that's there. The Illinois state fair is going to be there. Okay. So I'll be, I'll be enjoying my my own version of uh, eating corn dogs and going on the tilt a whirl. We actually bought just bought tickets to go see Ario Speedwagon. Dude, that's They'll, are they playing at the fair? They're playing at the fair <laughs> Tuesday night. They're the main event. So, so I said I was. Uh, I live in Portland. I'm from Sacramento, California. That's the capital, and we we go hard in the state fair. And I'm a little too all familiar with the miscellaneous rock bands that show up for the state fair you got your poison you got your uh, i'm trying to remember i think it was like a gin blossoms uh just just the random (laughs) random people that are playing well we're we're gonna miss out the doobie brothers are gonna be playing it's their 50th anniversary tour um so we're gonna we're not gonna be there for the doobies but we're gonna be there for aria and i i so since there are other things to do, I suggested 
that seeing REO Speedwagon at a state fair is probably the best move that can be made in terms of like capitalizing on a state fair experience. Absolutely. And it's like, and and you have all that food and all that environment and like, uh, so you're going with a friend, a date, who who are you going with? Yeah, no. So I, I do a music review show, uh, with, with a a friend of mine who she lives in uh, Illinois. Okay. Um, so I'll be traveling, uh, but she and I are, are, are really good friends. We basically, we met through, um, we both participated in a, um, uh, marketing mm. conference. Okay. I, so I had, I had written some, some books, uh, on small, through a small press and was interested in how to better market them. And she had, uh, has an eBay store. So we were both interested in how do you market to the independent crowd. Right. Um, so we took this course, met, became friends, uh, and then she ended up creating a Facebook group, which was one of the projects for the marketing course, uh, and then COVID hit. Mm. So originally the Facebook group was just for people to post about bands they liked and just interact with each other. And then we ended up... Um, live streaming bands from their practice rooms around the world so that people could watch them that's that's amazing yeah and and i asked if she needed help because then it became more than just monitoring a a message board um and we became you know we we liked the same music we became really friendly and then when bands started playing live again uh we changed the format so now every week she and I talk about usually a heavy metal band. We're both into Doom and Stone and Rock. Dude. So you just got 20 points cooler. You're already been pretty cool, but like you just shot the Richter scale of coolness. Okay. Well, th- thank you. Yes. I don't, I don't look necessary or sound like I, that's, that would be my background or that's where I'd fit in. But I have a great photo. I, when my brother graduated high school, I took him to Madison Square Garden to see Iron Maiden, Motorhead, and Dio. Dude, oh my god! Oh my god! You don't know me, but like I just that that hit my soul. Like that <laughs> yeah. that that's the concert to go to. Oh my gosh! Uh, please, yeah. I like to have um, kind of photos with these experiences though. If maybe I can get that from you, I'd love. To yeah, yeah, I'll go. Well, I was gonna go up. I so uh, I have a bunch of photo albums upstairs. I was gonna peruse again because when I went, this was still before uh, you know before smartphones this is probably like 2002 i think um but uh yeah my brother so my brother was a a big iron maiden fan um and dio so we went for that dude i freaking love dio i'm uh you actually can't see but uh i actually collect a good amount of vinyl records oh yeah look at that and okay um, like dio is a huge i never had to see him before he passed and i always it was a big regret but granted i was like in high school at the time but i mean he is was he amazing was he great he was great yeah i mean i i of course only knew the hits like he played rainbow in the dark and holy diver so those were my that's where i connected but um later on do you know if he played any like black sabbath songs i don't i don't remember um later on i got into the dio era of black sabbath so i became a huge fan of uh, mob rules and um uh, I'm blanking on the other one. Uh, uh, I think Dehumanizer. Heaven and Hell. Well, heaven, no, no, yeah. Um, 
Jeez. Well, those are there are the three: Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, uh, and then Dehumanizer was in the early '90s. That's the live album, right? No, 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 no. There's it's a blue one. It has Computer God on it. That was on the. <gasps> yeah, yeah, you're right. That was on the right. soundtrack for the video game Doom. Oh, you know what? I because I always saw it because I always I love the um the artwork for it though because it's like that Grim Reaper essentially yeah holding the purse yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, it's so freaking sick though. But um, cool, man. Yeah, I uh, no, I uh, again, big um, if you like Dio, and we'll we'll we're gonna get into the intro. This is kind of how. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's all good. <laughs> this is great, dude. I'm you, you, I basically I'm having the best time because you said Dio, and I'm just like, okay, I'm perking up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's a uh, a documentary called uh, I think it's either This Is Your Life or Dreamers Never Die. I think that's what it's called. But it's a Dio documentary, and it is – it was such an experience. Yeah, Dio, Dreamers Never Die. I took my wife, who's never really known Dio, barely knows the songs, barely knew the guy. But the, the, the documentary does a good job of showing his life, his musical career up until the point where he dies. And you just kind of realize, like, man, dude, he – like the, the musically, how he was able to kind of get into three ginormous bands – and mm-hmm. still continue without having to change the sound. It, it's it's incredible. It's again, if you're mildly interested in Dio, I cannot recommend it enough. My wife again, yeah. never met Dio. We were both crying at the end of the movie. Again, it was, it was so it was so great. It was excellent. Sure. Well, he yeah, he's um. I mean, I was I once I I listened to his solo stuff first, and then I sort of went backward and picked up all the Black Sabbath, and then uh, when he was with Rainbow um richie blackmore oh yeah i never i never really got into elf you know which which i guess was his earliest incarnation before he joined rainbow right but um yeah i mean he was i mean he was phenomenal and i remember i think it was uh um it was either tony iomi or it was uh geezer butler mentioned how they were always amazed that such a little man had such a big voice huge personality just like yeah i mean yeah and i don't i don't think he had any any official training like i think it was all just like you know he was just naturally gifted oh yeah no official training it was all it was you're 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 right on the money exactly and the fact that again because he did the rainbow thing until and this is where again i'm kind of uh, getting a little fuzzy like rainbow wanted to do like a teeny bopper radio hit and Dio's like, I'm not trying to do that. I want to do stuff about magic and dark imagery. And he left. And then till I think it was Tony Iommi, they got like drunk one night or had a couple of drinks. And they're like, hey, you want to you be in my band or something like that? And then they did their thing until, again, they were partying too hard. And then he left. And then I think WB approached him and said, hey, do you want to do your own thing? And then I think they did like three or four albums until there's kind of like a little bit of a dip. It was like that '90s, 2000s, where like he was making albums and they just weren't hitting as hard. Right. That Black Sabbath picked him up again. Well, not yeah. Bla- same well, they, guys, but they were uh, their own band. I think it's called Heaven and Hell. Yeah, Heaven and Hell. Yeah, man, I, uh, I do. I had no idea about the the music thing. That's so cool, and um, we we can get into that. But um, hi everybody, welcome to uh, an episode of Ordinary People Extraordinary Stories, where we talk about music and state fair food my name's tristan and uh this is my good friend i just met named andrew say say hi andrew hi nice to meet all of you all right do you prefer andrew andy do you have preference drew 
to be honest, it doesn't. I've I've gone by all of them, uh, depending on the group I'm with. Uh, Andrew is fine. Drew is fine. Andy's fine. It's all good. How about a money? You know, just a money is good. I mean, I when I was in uh, the seventh grade, uh, I my next door, my best friend also lived across the hall from me in New York City. Okay. He and I were uh, we had a rap group that we formed called the Artificial Implants. Oh, that's. That's an awesome name. Holy crap. Thank you. He was MC Clean X. And MC I was and I was DJ Scratch and Sniff. Ooh, okay. All right. I mean, it way way better titles than we deserved by any strip. Like it, you know, but and I think we were we would record on an old boombox. Okay. Um, okay. I, I play the guitar, so I would I would lay down like a, a bass riff on an acoustic guitar. Right, uh, and then we would. I think we ended up making songs about uh, Bob Ross, the painter. That dude, um, like, bro, this is like, I'm surprised you didn't blow up. These are all like kick-ass things that I think everyone would be like, I would not hear that. Yeah, well, what one thing that I've learned about my artistic endeavors is that I tend the timing tends to be off. Like, mm. um, I made a I made a documentary. I tried to make a documentary film about former professional heavy middleweight boxer Iran Barkley. Okay. Um I don't think I know that guy, but Yeah, he he he, he beat Tommy Hearns twice. That was like his big claim to fame. He owned he owned the middleweight title for a little while. Okay. Okay. I'm and uh I I bought dinner with him off eBay. <laughs> and then Hell yeah, pitched, that's awesome. Pitched the dinner, you know, the over dinner I pitched the idea of making a film. I was in my early 20s. Um and I, you know, I very, I very much took my cues from the punk movement of the eighties, like yourself. a DIY thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I basically shot footage with him for a year, had no idea what I was doing had, but, uh, but I had one of those little handheld cameras, okay. um, you know, that, uh, but, but this is, you know, YouTube, I think had just been invented. There was no streaming services. The 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 best we had hoped for is that we could license the documentary to HBO right. or something like that, or or sell it to a DVD right. company. Had I had I waited another ten years, you know, it would have been a, a bl- like right like right now. Oh yeah, dude. He 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 eventually got a documentary about him made that I think is streaming on Amazon right now. Um, I think it's called The Fifth King, but. Um, but I ended up writing a book about the experience called Honing the his his nickname was the Blade. I ran the Blade Barkley. Mm, so okay. the book I wrote is called Honing the Blade, Honing the Blade. Uh, and it's basically just about our experience trying to make the film. Man, and it sucks. Is is that is that anywhere? Is it released anywhere someone could see it though? Because that sounds so. Again, it sounds so like you said, punk rock. It's so like, just indie and like it was just gritty and just cool looking but it had like all the heart in it i bet the well the the documentary was never released in any form um you know i i i had everyone signed a a a release form and a waiver but i hadn't secured the rights to any of the footage like the fight footage so okay so that's on my hard drive but the the book you can get on amazon okay um and I, you know, I'm just, I'm just proud that the story is out there in some form. And I mean, dude, just like, pardon my French, like the balls to just like go out. And I mean, there's, 
we're going to get into this for a minute, but, uh, but yeah, uh, it's another great episode of ordinary people, extraordinary stories. Again, I, uh, a little, little backstory. What I do is I, besides doing a little fun conversation we had, I do a little kind of intro on how I know you and, uh, you're another guest from Podmatch. I, uh, you said you've been, I think I saw you were one of the, I think founding people or like you were there when it first started, I was, right? Yeah, I was, I was, um, I think I got an email uh, when it first was out suggesting that it would, it might be a good resource. Um, so, cause I had, I had myself been doing a podcast, mm-hmm. um, called the fistful of faceful, which, which I had started in Hong Kong with a friend of mine where I would try to convince him to listen to heavy metal music. <laughs> That's was, so cool. <laughs> there, there used to be a podcast called analyze fish spelled P-H-I-S-H. Okay. Um, it's with uh, Scott Ackerman and this guy, Harris Whittles. They're two. Scott Ackerman has a show called Comedy Bang Bang. Yeah, um, yeah. And Harris Whittles used to write for Parks and Rec and a few other shows. And he was a huge fan of the band Fish. So they had this podcast where he would try to convince Scott that he should start listening to the band Fish. Okay. And I thought that was such a cool idea and I was teaching in the time in Hong Kong, and I shared an office with this very meek British guy named Martin, who listened to Britpop. Mm. And I thought, okay, let's do a podcast with him and me, where I try to convince him to listen. So we started, we would do, the first episode was about the history, where did heavy metal start? And then we sort of branched off into the different subgenres, like we did one episode on thrash metal, yeah. one episode on stoner metal one on doom one on sludge black death probably yeah we i don't yeah i mean i think you don't know if you got that far with the uh, well the the because those aren't typically the genres i listen to so i stuck with what i what i knew mostly i know we did uh like hair metal and glam that that ended up being his favorite because that's sort of the mm. most accessible and it's um, exactly it's kind of the more it's the poppiest of the metal though you know right so that he was drawn although he did he did like there's a band called Pentagram yeah. from uh, the DC. He did like them early. That, early. Uh, they're thrash, right? Well, they're they're more of a doom. Uh, okay. They've been around. They've been around since the early '70s um, in one yeah. incarnation or another. So he liked early Pentagram. Um, and uh, there were a, we kept a whiteboard that was in our office with um, all the names of the bands he liked. Okay. I can I can send that to you also. Oh yeah, no no, that's that you do. That's uh okay, so and it's just so crazy cuz like again, if I get to speak frankly or plainly, your podmatch profile does not do you that justice. I mean, you are the swell of human experiences, which thanks for coming on to the episode. Uh to kind of go back to the audience. Yeah, I'm this is another episode where uh, I met him from Podmatch and the um i'll just even just read just his profile uh you mentioned the fact is that you survived a ruptured brain aneurysm was it during covid no it was uh, in 2018 2018 so two day two years before and i i did a bit of a you know brief like a review or at least i looked up a bunch of stuff about brain aneurysms and it they always said that if it ever ruptures it starts bleeding it's a very slim chance people are alive and you are here talking the good fight about heavy metal and all this fun stuff. And it's like, 
I mean, you've had such this crazy life that it, it makes me wonder, like, has there been much of a change coming from you doing the DIY punk stuff to just now? Um, not, I mean, a little, my, so I, in 2018, I had, uh, my first book was about to be published. Um, and this wasn't the Iran one or is this a different book? No, no, no. This was a, a crime fiction book called pavement. Okay. So I had that to look forward to. Uh, and I had just decided to quit my high school teaching job and pursue a PhD in creative writing. Um, so I was in the process of applying to schools, but it was the summer. I had just turned 40 um, the week before. So I was going to fly to visit my parents. Um, and I had the, the aneurysm happened when I was on the jetway about to board the plane. Oh, wow. Um, so had anything like? been, yeah, had I, had I been in the bathroom or on the, or on the train or on the plane even, then I wouldn't be here sitting with you talking about heavy metal and state fair food. Yeah. Um, so. And even, even, yes, if you have a ruptured brain aneurysm, usually 50% of the people die immediately. Um, and then another like 40 may either die on the way to the hospital or in the hospital, or they may have a lifelong debilitating uh, injury that they need to recover from. Um, I'm really fortunate that I guess I'm in like the 99th percentile of the only, the, I have, I still have physical limitations, but they're very minor. Um, okay. when I move my head side to side, I need to wait for my vision to settle. Uh, it's like, 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 like this, like when you're doing no. Yeah. It, it's sort of the sense, the sensation when you step off a merry-go-round, so you have to I kind of get your equilibrium fixed. You're like, okay. Yeah. So th that's, I've, I just have that now. Fortunately, mm -hmm. I don't get nauseated. So it's just, and I've adjusted to incorporating that in my life. So I know if I do a 180 degree turn, I have to wait a second before I start moving again. Okay. Um, and my goodness. My, like, oh my yeah, gosh. My, my balance isn't very good. Um, I mean, it's, it's fine, but like I, I, I would have taken chances before going downstairs without holding the hand railings. Now I make sure to hold them every time. Um, mm. But those are really it. It's sort of the way I like to articulate it. It's kind of like a fly at a picnic. Like, you know, it's there, but it's not going to ruin your day uh, as you're eating. Mm. Okay. So With that analogy. Well, so when it happened, I mean, how did you know it happened? Cause you said you were about to step on. The yeah. Plane. So typically people get what's known as a thunderclap headache, which is like the most painful headache you've ever had. I didn't get that. Instead, I just started to sweat uncontrollably. Like I had just run a marathon. Yeah. Um, and since it, this is before COVID, I thought, okay, maybe I'm coming down with the flu or I've, you know, I've got something. Then I tried to, they called um, my group so I lifted my backpack, but it felt like it had cinder blocks in it. Mm. And again, in hindsight, these are pretty serious red flags. But I was thinking, okay, I'm coming down with a cold. I can, if I can just make it on the plane, I'll take a nap. Things will be fine. And then as I started to walk, the floor began to shift. Oh my like, God. Uh, like the floor of a funhouse. Yeah. 
which airports don't usually do that where it's like they don't do that and and of course i wasn't thinking clearly so at the time i just remember saying okay this is going to be a little tricky i'm going to see if i can gather enough momentum <laughs> to propel me onto the plane um let me soldier on to crawl my, myself to that plane hell well, yeah so i took a step and fell and thank again thankfully i was on the jetway so immediately and it was like eight eight o'clock in the morning Okay. So first responders could get to me very quickly. I just remember hearing someone tell me, don't move. Um, and then they put a neck brace on and slid a, like a, slid me onto a crash pad. And the only thing I remember saying is I can't miss my flight because all I thought was how pissed my mom was going to be. Oh my God. Um, and then, and then I have no memory of the next, the next three weeks really. Although I was, I've seen video of me in intensive care after surgery and I'm responding to people. I'm walking around, I'm doing stuff. Uh, but I just wasn't cognizant. That's so, crazy. Just... Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, I have seen video of me like feeding myself for the first time and, and taking a step for the first time. Uh, and people are talking to me and I'm answering, but I have no recollection of, of those three weeks. My goodness. Um, it's, yeah. So well, thank thank God. Seriously, because yeah. I mean, like, it's and I get that mindset. I'm very much of the I'm fine. I don't want to ruin other people's experiences. Or again, same thing. I'll just take a nap and I'll make it all better. And again, thank God you didn't take that nap because you would have woken up from that nap. Yeah. It's it, this was. I remember reading um, uh, afterward. You know, this when I left the hospital. That was sort of the beginning of the existential angst. What, like, where do but I like, go from here? Kind of. Where do I go from here? What do I do? This is this is such a drastic change. And I remember reading uh, Seth MacFarlane, the creator of Family Guy. Yeah. Um, was supposed to be on one of the planes uh, on 9/11 that flew into the World Trade Center. Yeah. But he had been drinking the night before, so he was hungover, and his. Uh, travel agent gave him the wrong information. So he missed the plane. And for the next year or so, all the interviews that he got, all the questions asked him about, well, what, what do you think about that? How is that like? And he said, I gave myself a month to really think about it. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to put this away and I'm just going to move on with my life because otherwise I'll just keep going down the rabbit hole. It'll haunt him, dude. Exactly. It's just like the whole, like, it's a, survivor's guilt maybe yeah well it's it, there there are a lot of questions that just don't have answers so you know you just keep pulling at the thread and pulling at the thread and pulling at the thread and you don't get anything satisfactory from it so exactly it's, it's like the, the universe is a sweater and but like it doesn't stop you're like you're expecting sure. to like it and you're just like okay and so i like i like that yeah i, I that I, that was there were a couple of interesting realizations I had. The first was that my physical recovery and my emotional recovery would happen separately. Um, How long did that take you to, to get that? Because I can imagine like that, that's something you really don't realize until you're like a good, good long. Yeah, well, I, um, because I had, I was only 40 and okay. I was in relatively good shape. It only took about a year for most of the major physical stuff to heal. Um you know, I had uh, double vision, so I wore an eye patch, uh, and I walked with a cane. Mm. Um, and then at the end of a year, I didn't need the eye patch or the cane anymore. So 
I was under the assumption, well, this is probably going to be easier than I expect because I'm healing very quickly. Uh, and then as things began to taper off, that's when all the emotional, like, what am I going to do with my life? What, what's this all, you know, all the sort of a lot of existential questions we all have. Oh yeah. Mine was, mine was a little bit more magnified because of the suddenness of the change. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so that that that's how I knew. And the other thing is because so few people make it to the point I made it to, there's very little research about what to expect or how to deal with the changes. So I was really kind of blazing a path of learning as I went. Mm. Um, and do it yourself, punk rock way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So go. well, that's where it was helpful. Um, there were, I mean, there were. There was a period, certainly, of uh, of extreme confusion, depression. You know, just just with uh, having a difficult. I don't. It right now. It's been almost five years, and I'm in a much better place emotionally. So it may not seem like uh, it was that difficult, but uh, it was. I mean, it was certainly very difficult to make the trans. I I still meet with a therapist. I speak to regularly. Okay. Um, the entire time, no, like same therapist. No, I I uh, went to, I went to one person who specialized in PTSD. She was very helpful, mm. uh, and then one the the only frustrating uh, limitation I still have is it's difficult to make emotional connections. So I am working with a somatic experience therapist, and we sort of talk about how to uh, recognize what a body sensation might correspond with emotionally. Okay. Like that, that subtle flutter in your chest. That's what joy feels like now. Um, okay. Interesting. So, so she was, she's been really helpful in terms of, uh, changing my perspective and being more open to, to things. Um, there was a lot of time where I spent thinking, okay, I'm waiting for the old way that I used to do things to come back. Um, and I've, I've since realized it's probably not going to come back anytime soon, but I should focus instead on what I have. So that was really helpful in terms of, you know, and then as I was doing that, I realized that the teaching world probably wasn't going to be the best fit, but if I could provide support for other people going through, uh, brain injury recovery, um, that might be a better idea. So that's how I enrolled in a med clinical mental health counseling program, uh, which I'm in the midst of pursuing. How, uh, there's so many questions I have. Let's go back to the, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned the old way of doing things. What, what did that look like? So, um, one thing that I had always imagined for myself is that I would, uh, eventually possibly start a family, get married, uh, or at least be in a serious relationship. Right. After the aneurysm being difficult, making emotional connections, it sort of became a moot point. Like how can I be in a, in a relationship with someone if emotionally it's all blunted? It just seemed. So I was waiting for that to like come back, you know, okay. It, it, you'll you'll need to at least feel what being in love is like 
if you want to be in a relationship with someone seriously. Um, other things, for example, I remember I was in New Hampshire with a friend of mine uh, whose family has a house that's right near a lake. Okay. And we were on the dock at the lake. The sun was setting. It was this beautiful, picturesque moment. And I remember thinking, okay, at any moment now, you're going to feel the emotional euphoric impact of this beauty. Um, and instead that never, that never came. Mm. So I was expect that sort of like the, uh, the old me would have been able to feel some kind of emotional connection to what I was seeing. Uh, it was at times it's sort of difficult to articulate, but, um, cause it, you're describing a feeling it's like how, or, you know, like what, what color? Yeah. It's, I, yeah, I get it. It's so it's, it, it's kind of one of those things where is it can you really be sad about it or like you know miss it if you can't really feel it it's like right well that's that what i've learned uh in working with this person is that i you can you can adjust um i've certainly adjusted okay. um i can recognize now uh you know we would do things where i would look at a photo of like my family for example mm -hmm. and then notice what that would make me feel internally and begin to recognize how that connects. Um, okay. So it's a much more subtle thing. I mean, it's also a um, a silver lining uh, in a way because uh, currently my mother has ALS, yeah. um, and she's. It's been a really for my family. It's been a very difficult transition, but it hasn't really impacted me. Emot like I don't get overwhelmed with sadness, so it's been it's been easier to remain objective and to just be helpful without uh, being inundated with a lot of overwhelming emotion. So, you know, and, and I was just going to say, I think that's probably even for the better is because again, it's, it's like, you know, as much as it'd be amazing to really feel like this is an incredible moment. It's just like you said, you're not, because I, you mentioned you're creative. I'm a creative too. And I can only assume that probably back in the day when you were creating, that the sadness when those things came were probably really could almost crippling or could just be so intense. Granted, you might have been really inspired and made some amazing content or, you know, things with those feelings, but they can also be kind of debilitating or kind of sure. you know, hindering. Well, it, it, what I've been able to do in the last five years is really appreciate what I have and the fact that I'm here and the fact that I still can do as many things as I can. Um, I can still write. So I'm still writing. I can do this show with my friend where we review, you know, doom metal bands. Um, I'm able to go back to school. I, I have a lot of friends who I've met through support groups who are unable to uh, either return to work or do anything fulfilling because cognitively they can't process well anymore. Their memories are gone. Right. Um, so I sort of look at it like I owe it to myself to make the most of this situation, but I also owe it to them. It's like um, I, I often think of lines from movies or scenes from movies okay. that are inspiring. I think of uh, the scene in Goodwill Hunting where um, Ben Affleck is talking to Matt Damon, and Matt Damon's like, "Wouldn't this be great if you know we were both in our fifties, working at the junkyard, and taking our kids to the ball game?" And Ben Affleck's like, if you're still here when you're 50, I will be really pissed because you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket 
So you, you don't owe it to yourself. And, and, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I know I owe it to myself. But he goes, no, you don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. Mm. And you owe it to all these other guys because we're going to be stuck here for the rest of our lives, which is fine. But, you, you know, you're just being a chicken. And mm. I think, you know, sometimes I think of stuff like that, like, okay, I owe it to myself to make the most of this second chance. But I also owe it to my friends who would love to make a second chance but can't. You know, it, two things. First off, I've never seen Goodwill Hunting. I do know the basis of it. Crazy smart janitor guy. Just really doesn't sound like he's applying to himself. Is there probably some trauma reason why he's not doing it? Or is it really just a chicken? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't realize you hadn't seen So No, no, no. No, I, I, I got pretty much it. And I'm going to watch it today. If anything, like that's why I'm, you pretty much locked them and check it out today. Yeah, well, but, so he's um, he uh, grew up in South Boston. He's like a genius, right? Yeah, he grew up in South Boston. He was in the foster system. He was abused. He's a genius. He's working. Uh, he's able. His friend is able to get him like construction jobs. So, but he just, you know, he just wants to hang out and be one of the guys. And um, he has this opportunity where he's bailed out of jail. I don't want to give away the whole movie. Yeah, please don't. He, like I'm gonna definitely yeah, check it out well, today. Anyway, this is toward the end where his friend is calling him out on the fact that he's a genius who's not applying himself because he's scared. Um, you know, it's it's one of the more poignant mo moments of the movie. But um, but that, anyway, I, yeah. that's what I was going to reference. So it's it's that I really do love doing this cast because I get to have like kind of like epiphany moments just like this where it's like because I, I I very similarly felt very scared or like I um, kind of also tried to do a bunch of other things. I tried to do stand-up comedy a couple times. I tried going to spec to school. For a second, I thought I was going to be a mortuary assistant because I was like, that sounds fun. And it the uh, the community college I was at had like a big uh, funeral studies program. And I was like, hey, why not? Just, you know, the, the it was like the history of funeral science. And it was like explaining like mummies and like, you know, how like uh, grave keepers or like uh, undertakers used to do everything. They're like, oh, we cut your hair. We'll bury the dead. We'll, <laughs> right. we'll uh, drain your blood. But uh, and now I'm doing this. And it's sometimes I also too kind of have this moment of just like, you know, I, I, I want to try it, do it big or I believe there's something there. But again, I'm scared. And definitely hearing just all the man, like, again, Andrew, if I could just say, dude, like you had such a kick-ass life. I mean, the fact that, like, I love the fact that you, I don't even know why you taught in Hong Kong, but you you taught you, you taught there, you did a bunch of podcasts, you're a metal dude, now you have, like, a weekly, so you go to concerts once a week. Well, we don't, we, um, we don't go to the, we don't review the show, we basically just review the album. Okay. So we'll have listened to the album on our own, and then we'll, we'll do it over um, StreamYard, which is, like, Zoom. So it's okay. basically like it would be like if you and I were talking exclusively music now, which we might have one of those episodes because hardcore dude, I want you back because like there's yeah, yeah. Well, so I, much stuff to talk about. I yeah, I mean I appreciate that. I do. I have had a lot of different lives. I just to answer your question about Hong Kong quickly, I was in grad school uh, in New York and um, for creative writing, uh, and we had a visiting poet from the Ukraine who was in uh, the United States on a Fulbright grant. And she was telling about the Fulbright grant and how great it was. And at the time I knew I would become a teacher 
Okay. But I thought, you know what, this is the perfect opportunity to maybe teach abroad for a little bit or, or, you know, do something great before I spend the next 50 years of my life teaching public school or wherever you'd be. at. Yeah. So I decided I'd look into the Fulbright grant. I, I think the reason I got, so I got a Fulbright grant to teach in Macau. And I think the reason I got it was because I was already in my thirties with mm. an advanced degree and real world experience. And every other candidate had just graduated from college. So I think I sort of was the either anomaly or I gave it more credence or whatever, you know, whatever you want to look at it. So I ended up in Macau uh, teaching there for a year. And then when that was up, I realized, you know what? Let's stay another year because how often are you going to be able to travel around the world? Um, exactly. And I was able to to get a, a job teaching at a university in Hong Kong, so I stayed there for another year. That's and still incredible to have that experience, though. And so, what did you teach? I taught uh, English. So most of so I in Macau, I was an English teaching assistant. So they would have these were all mostly Macanese locals. So they would have uh, an English class with a, a professor in the morning and then the TAs would sort of run them through like um, mostly unorthodox like games or situations that where they could practice their English. Okay. Um, we, you know, we would also uh, come up with like grammar lessons and, t- and stuff like that. It was a lot of supplementary work. Um, and uh, the interesting thing about Macau is that uh, it's where the gambling, hmm. it's the biggest center for gambling in Asia. Really? So um, it's all, it's, yeah, it's where it's like, you've got Las Vegas, Monte Carlo, Macau, um, everyone in Asia that wants to gamble goes to Macau. And the only people who can work in the casinos are locals. So hmm. a lot of times we, if you lost a student and they dropped out of school, they could get a job as a, as a, dealer uh and make a very good living oh, yeah uh, no i i used to bus or be a, a wait a little waiter server at a casino restaurant and like just seeing just the the money that goes around those things and the yeah the, the, the shuffling it's it's insane it's a whole nother world sure over there well um the government of macau taxes the casino revenue mm. so they I think unemployment's at like 2%, or at least it was when I was there in 2012. Right. And there's always new roads being built and new buildings. You know, they, they're they making a lot of, I mean, the government makes a lot of money from the casino revenue. So. Hey, dude, that's the best, making lemons to lemonade. Yeah. Absolutely. Hard, hardcore. It's like, oh yeah, all this fun gambling money. You have, we just, again, great benefactor to the school. They're, sure. <laughs> they're making sure the kids have good lunch and. Absolutely. Play all the blackjack you want. Yeah. So I, I taught, uh, and then in Hong Kong, uh, I was at a community college where I would teach, um, like there were accounting students that I would teach English to, uh, a lot of business related stuff. Like we, we taught them how to, um, develop their resumes, uh, how to do a job interview, you know, things, things that sort of catered towards those, uh, like business related stuff. You know, there was a lot of like how to how to write an essay, you know, how to do things like that. But it was always 
geared towards students who special who majored in like there were accounting students, business students, um, engineers, things along those lines. Okay, man, it's it, it's just still so cool, and I'd love to know more about the documentary thing. thing. That, that's that's really sick. I found your your book, uh, Pavement. Uh, probably will eventually find your actual um, the the book you wrote about uh, honing the blade. If you if you go to so I have a website. It's just Andrew Dash davy.com okay and there will be there will be links to everything there including the music review show and uh which is which is called happy hour with heather and guest heather and guest um, yeah well that was that was what the face group group was called originally and then she asked me if i if since i was coming aboard she said do you want to change the name and i said no no, no let's stick with i'm just helping you let's do happy hour so now it's become fun. You know, it's like three years uh, into existence. It's still a happy hour with Heather and guests. Exactly. You you don't get a name yet. Maybe you will, but you know what? This is guests is kind of cool. It's just like you're, you're anonymous. It's here. yeah. Well, and I, I like with certain things, I like operating in the shadows. It's not, you know, it's nice. She really deserves all the credit. I mean, she, it's her show. Uh, I'm just guest. Uh, what I like to say, it's her world. It's her world. And I'm just living in it. And, and you know, and again, I feel like you get to, kind of sit back and enjoy it a bit more because you're not, there's no strains of responsibility or extra stuff you got to do. You're just, I'm just a guest. I'm in the passenger seat. Yeah. Well, I, I think the guest represents whichever musician, because sometimes we've had interviews with musicians and sometimes we'll, you know, bands have played live. So the guest now represents them. I always, <laughs> what was nice is someone commented on the show once and said, uh, I really love that show with Heather and that other dude. So I always introduce myself now, you know, welcome to happy hour with Heather and guest. I'm that other dude, Andrew. And uh, so, yeah, so it's, but it's nice. It's, I have fun with it. Heck yeah. No, it's uh, I, if anything, I'm going to try to check it out too. So I want to go back to something cause we touched on it very little, but uh, you mentioned about that kind of uh, emotional stunting or like, you're kind of like not, it doesn't hit as hard. And it being difficult with like finding a partner or at least like, you know, dating relationships. I think you kind of answered the question because you said it doesn't hit you as hard, but does it ever get kind of lonely or you really, you've kind of got to the point where you don't miss that kind of stuff. Do you date at all? Do you have a dating life? I, I, it's, I did. I actually, I've, um, I've written a couple of autobiographical works Mm. that, sort of chronicle the recovery and more. Okay. Um, there's a memoir called land of illusions with an a, this is a time. Um, and then, and then I, uh, wrote an addendum to it called playing with house money Mm. because that's sort of how I feel like my life is now. You just mind just, uh, elaborating on that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, uh, at a casino or you're gambling and you're just playing with the winnings, so you're not you're not using your money anymore. You're just playing with money you've won from the house. That's referred to as house money. Mm. So there's really no risk. Like I, I look at my life. So I I should hopefully have a book coming out at some point called uh, the Second Act. Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald once had notes in an upcoming book of his that was never completed where he said there are no second acts in American lives. Mm. And I sort of look at this, well, I'm, I've been given a second act. Um, you know, I'm, 
I technically shouldn't be here except for certain circumstances. So you said F. Scott Fitzgerald said that. Yeah. Is that well? He had, he had written that he wrote a book called The Last Tycoon, and that had been written in the margins of his book. Okay. Before this, was, it was a book in progress. He died, I think, before it could be completed. So. Yes, I saw he, he dead quite a young age because I I know the only book I think I've ever probably pretty read with someone everyone always reads is The Great Gatsby, and I'm like that doesn't right. quite match up because I feel like didn't the whole point of that guy becoming so wealthy was his second act, but I mean. Yeah, I th- I mean, I don't. Th- I think people assume mm. different things from that. That uh, he never got a chance to explain what he meant by that. That was just sort of a note in the margins. But I liked the way it sounded, and I thought it was applicable for me. Oh, it sounds so cool, especially since he died saying that. It's just like never trust Jimmy, or there's always money in the banana stand. It's just kind of like, you're like, wait, wait, what does this mean? But he died before he right. could give a meaning and it just sounds so much more cooler, more mystique. Yeah. I, I sort of look at like from here on out with my life, it's just gravy. So, and that allows me a little bit more ease with accepting whatever happens or uncertainty. I mean, I've worked very hard to cultivate that perspective. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that it kind of gives me the freedom to be like, you know what, I'm going to take a risk because if this works, great. And if it doesn't work, I'm just lucky to be alive. That's still not. Um, so, so how does that, I guess, would say translate to the dating scene then for you? Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. We we were on. So. Bro, that's this cast, man. We always go out in the weeds. <laughs> Most of it's yeah, my fault. <laughs> well, I think growing up, you know, like most people, I sort of thought like, okay, well, what does a successful life look like? It's getting married and starting a family. White picket fence. White picket fence. It's the it's the car with the two point five kids. It's the the house in the suburbs. So I think there was just the expectation of well, at some point I will meet Miss Wright and I will get settled down. So I wrote a lot about my dating before the aneurysm. Mm because I had a lot of really funny online dating experience moments. Um, And then after the aneurysm, I thought, well, that's what I had wanted to do before. That's sort of what I thought was a priority. So let me try to get back into the dating world. Also, because I felt like I would try to recapture who I was. Hmm. And then I remember at one point, I was out to lunch with a really attractive woman from Venezuela. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, uh, you're not, you're not getting any emotional connection with this woman. Like you should typically you would want to have sex with this person as soon as possible. You should want to see her again. She's very funny. She's very witty. And yet this is like watching a film about paint dry. So I just remember thinking, okay, th- there's. It's like I'm trying to force a square peg into a round hole. There's no. So I took a step back and was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe this isn't the best idea right now. Hmm. Um, maybe at some point things will change. But for now, I, you know, and that t- that was really difficult to to like let that because then I started thinking, well, what's worth. You know, if if getting married and starting a family was what I thought was the most important thing or one of the most important things in life, then what does that mean now? Yeah. Now that I no longer have that. 
which that's a that's a huge question that's a that's a foundation yeah. shaking question yeah well that i mean that's part of the work i've done with my therapist is being able to realize that there are other worthwhile things out there i just may not have been familiar with what they were at the time or never thought of them as being as important but but the you know the aneurysm sort of allowed me to revisit a lot of what i had been conditioned to want by just growing up as a kid in the 90s mm. you know you you think like okay well the brass ring is finding a spouse having kids having the white picket fence and then you realize at some point well wait a second where is that written that's not written any that's not mandatory that's just what we all expect that's just the quote-unquote american dream and yeah gosh you look at it nowadays and that's pretty unreachable for a lot of people absolutely so well so the aneurysm and covid kind of allowed me to reflect on things and as a result i realized like okay be you know success and and I've I've read a lot of philosophy over the last couple of years to try and find answers to things. But uh, one of the things that Friedrich Nietzsche said was he has a theory called the will to power, mm. which basically means being the best version of yourself that you can be. And I sort of take that to think, well, what's the best version of Andrew? The most successful and the best version of Andrew is someone who can do a music review show with a friend weekly who can still write crime fiction and autobiographical works who can help out his family when he needs like that's success. Okay. It doesn't have to look like what I thought success needed to look like. Uh, and that took a lot of work to feel comfortable with just like with dating. It was sort of like, okay, this isn't, this is what I thought I needed but I'm learning that it isn't what I needed. And it's not, it's not something I'm having an easy time with because of the emotional block. So let's put that aside and come back to it later, maybe, or not at all. But let's, let's focus on the things that do bring you fulfillment and satisfaction. And once I started to do that, it was a lot easier. Right. It took a lot to make that transition. You know, a lot of work with a therapist and a lot of time that was the silver lining of COVID uh, because I had just gotten a job uh, at a tutoring center. I thought teaching was a little too overwhelming, but maybe I could tutor. Right. Uh, so I had just gotten a job at a tutoring center that was supposed to begin in April of 2020. Um, so obviously that got canceled. But the silver lining was I moved back in with my parents for about a year and I could focus just on recovering and figuring out some of the questions like, well, what do I really want out of life now? Now that I've been given this second chance, the second act, it doesn't have to look like what I had imagined. It could look like whatever I want it to be. Right. You know, and I, again, I'm fortunate that I didn't have kids that depended on me. So I didn't have to consider anyone else's livelihoods. Um, I wasn't already working in a job that I couldn't get it. Like there were a lot of things that allowed me to make these changes relatively easily. Um, it was just feeling comfortable enough with being able to change, uh, being open to the possibility of doing Which that. Which is no easy feat. Uh -huh. 
Like that's that's the that's a that's a Herculean task of anything. Yeah, what's well, it's I mean re- I didn't really begin to feel comfortable with things until about uh, a year and a half ago. So it was about three years of struggle um, before things began to sink in. Okay. So. And that was all during COVID, nonetheless, too. Like that's a. Yeah, well, that that was you know I I often there's a um a Taoist parable that I think about a lot now uh, about a farmer who finds a horse mm-hmm. and um the his the farmer's next door neighbor says oh what great fortune you found a horse it's a free horse and the farmer says well let's see uh, so the farmer's son tries to train the horse he gets thrown he breaks his leg and the neighbor comes over and says oh my god what awful, you know, what an awful thing your son broke his leg. And the farmer said, well, we'll see. Uh, and then the next day the army comes to the town to conscript all the able-bodied people they can, they can't take the son cause he has a broken leg. But by then the neighbors realized, okay, let's, you know, we'll see. So COVID obviously really bad because it changed the world for the, for the negative, but it also allowed me to, heal more fully and make changes that I needed to, to live a better life. And, you know, so. if anything, COVID was a great changer for a lot of people. If, uh, oh, yeah. I didn't, if COVID didn't happen, I would have still lived in Sacramento. It was, uh, because of COVID we lost our jobs and I moved up here to Portland and again, probably wouldn't have done this cast if it wasn't for these things happening though. So you're very much right though. It's, uh, I like that parable. It's that's, that's, and, beautiful again like i it probably i don't know if it happened in the story but maybe that kid that the the neighbor of the farmer said maybe he might have a son too and maybe he went got conscripted for the army and it's like oh man i wish my son was still here <laughs> shoot yeah who i mean w- one thing it sort of allowed you know when i read that i kind of realized that we look at things like they have a starting and finishing point mm. um you know like oh this event was bad but re- in reality, it's all kind of a seamless thing. Um, it took me a while to realize I would always anticipate that um, moments would feel like crossing a finish line for me. You know, like, okay, this stage of my life is over. I've crossed the finish line. Like when I, um, when I, knew, when I learned my first book was going to be published, I thought, okay, this is going to be a game changer and my life is going to change and it's going to open all these doors for me. And this will be the start of my writing career in which I'll feel really different about things. And I might, you know, get opportunities that, and, and really nothing changed, you know, where, where this isn't like 1940 where I wrote the great Gatsby and all of a sudden I'm writing, you know, I'm now being invited to people's parlors to give speeches. So a lot of it was kind of realizing like, okay, well, this, you know, everything is just one long distance race until the very, very end. Um, you know, and along the way, there's different checkpoints and you, you know, the elevation may be higher or it may be, you know, a flat surface, but, um, but it's all just one thing. Um, and it all depends on how you, how you look at it. Um, being a fan of, of, uh, music yourself, uh, I, I listened to a great podcast with Rick Rubin and Andre 3000. Okay. They, they talked about, um, cause I guess Andre 3000 talked about some, uh, 
emotional and mental difficulties he was having. Um, this is recent or like we're just, when he was like this was a few years okay. ago. I mean, just not 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 like medication different, but just sort of like um, anxiety about recording and things like that. And he, Rick Rubin said, when you're uh, creative, uh, it feels like you have this hole in you. And you think to yourself, okay, when I publish a book or make a film or record an album, the hole is going to be filled. Yeah. And the hole is what allows you, the hole is what allows you insight and creativity, kind of like what you talked about before with the, the sad feelings being motivating, but it's also difficult with them. And then you end up creating whatever it is and the hole is still there the next day. So that's when you realize, that's why so many people spiral out because they can't, they can't comprehend or, or be comfortable with the whole still being there. That, that's, that's exactly correct. That's all of what you said is a hundred percent correct. Cause that's, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's Rick Rubin speaking the truth. Um, but all, all of these things have helped me with a, you know, develop a better perspective about things. Um, now when I write, it's more just for the enjoyment of doing it rather than, the success that might come from publishing it. Uh, and again, that took a long time to feel comfortable with. Um, but so much of what I do now is, has been shaped really by the last five years of changes. Um, just either, either through COVID or the fact that I process things differently now, uh, emotionally, things also don't have the same like if, you know, if I miss the bus now, uh, or if I miss, you know, if, if I, you know, just have a streak of, of bad luck or something like, oh yeah, you know, the cream curl, you know, is curled in my coffee. Like that's really not a big deal, you know, and that, that's part of that was just because of the gravity of what's changed in the last five years. Which, I mean, I think it's, you definitely, I mean, you, you, you made lemons with lemonade and it's like this it kind of makes me wonder, I mean, like you you said, this has been a process, this has been a five year process, but it made me think about like, just how Zen you are and how just, again, you're just dropping so many pearls of wisdom and it's like, makes you kind of wonder if that's always been there or if really the mm -hmm. aneurysm and COVID like, yeah. gave it to you or brought that out of you it's, it's no it i um i looked re i mean really that first year once the physical recovery had begun to taper off and i was on this emotional journey i began listening to buddhist podcasts and reading a lot of books and reading philosophy and just looking really looking for answers um or or how to look at the questions differently so that hadn't always been there. I was, I'm much more of a, um, pop culture, uh, type person, but really in the last five years, it's become more sophisticated philosophical types of things. It's it reminds me, I, uh, I haven't seen it granted. I haven't seen it in a while. I think last time I saw it was actually, I was drunk, but it was this movie called thumb sucker. You ever heard of it? Yeah, 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 with um, Vincent D'Onofrio. 
I think so. I know Keanu Reeves is in it, and there's yeah, like, Keanu Reeves is the doctor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, it's just kind of like I think the whole thing, like just that movie again, from what I remember. I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's just like for anyone listening, it's this kid who's can't break this habit of thumb sucking until finally, like the second act, he does end up breaking it, and he sees all the success, but. The doctor has this very much like, you know what, hey, kind of like life is what you make it. It can be the answer. It can be the problem. It's just and then or maybe it's something weird and in between. It's it's neither or it's all of those things. And it's just it. I don't know. I, I, I admire where you are, where you kind of came from growing again, taking a really horrible, nasty situation and really, truly not even just making lemonade in it, make it something I think a little bit more pure bit more better thank you well it, you know i was certainly uh tempted to give up um or not make the you know it was certainly wasn't easy to get to this point it's taken a lot of hard work and a lot of therapy and a lot of those sorts of things um and, and i did struggle along the way you know with not with really one of the biggest uh, lessons I got was just being comfortable with uncertainty mm. and just developing my therapist always the buzzword is curiosity you know just be be curious see what you know what you're it when you feel overwhelmed or if you have anxiety you know just take notice of what that feels like rather than trying to get rid of it you know just things things like little things like that that I've been able to capitalize on and it's it's taken me a long time, but I really have been able to transform what's happened into uh, an opportunity. Um, one of the one of the things I often think about is I've been able to look at obstacles as opportunities now, and try to make the most of it. You know, it's it, it, it's also I there's a movie um, called Wag the Dog with Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro. Okay. Uh, it's, so De Niro plays a political spin doctor who is asked by the president of the United States to help him uh, with a, I guess the guy's been accused of um, having an inappropriate relationship. Oh, God. It, it was funny because the movie came out around the time of Clinton and Lewinsky. The, Cl the Clinton era and the, yeah, the Monica. Right. Oh my gosh, that's so, hilarious. So De Niro hires Dustin Hoffman, who's a film producer, to create a fake war to distract the public's attention. Oh my god, that's hilarious! That's oh my god, um, I, I want to check this movie out today. Yeah, I'm have a it's a, it's, today. it's really good. Bar Barry Levinson directed it. It's a really it sort of flew under the radar, um, considering that Dustin Hoffman and De Niro are in it. But it's a really funny political satire. But at one point. They run into, they keep running into these hurdles, uh, you know, where where things don't go their way. And Dustin Hoffman, the film producer, keeps saying, "This is nothing." Like when we were when we were shooting Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, three of the horsemen died before <laughs> principal photography ended. That was something. This is nothing. This. So I think you know when when things seem overwhelming at times, I always I always have my my cachet of movie quotes to go back to that I think of that, that help with like, there was a, a, not a very good movie that came out a while ago called Greenberg with Ben Stiller. Yeah. And uh, at, at one point in the movie, one of his friends says to him, 
it's really great to finally be ready for the life you never planned on having. <laughs> oh, what a great freaking line there. Oh my gosh. And I, you know, that, well, that, so that became one of the touch, you know, the things I think about often, like I'm now I'm finally ready for the life I never planned on having. You know, I, I will say, Andrew, just to be a little transparent, I, I, I feel like I'm getting there. Like I'm definitely be, get, getting more comfortable with the uncertainty or getting more comfortable with that hole, which I'm, man, you summed up fantastically. I can only hope that the creatives listening to here also kind of get some brevity in hearing that line because it's that uh, you, you can't plan for life. Life is an accident and intentional and it's just that I truly hope that I can just have that kind of zenness that you have or I can get there or I can just be okay with whatever this is because I mean, I don't know, I, I probably in your heart of hearts, maybe you wanted it to get big or you want to be able to make a professional living off creating or something. But I mean, it's just, I, you, you give me hope. I'm still absolutely yeah. terrified, but I mean. Yeah, well, that's, th these are all, I mean, everything you're talking about are universal uh, concerns that everyone has to a certain extent, whether they're creative or not. Um, and it takes time. Like, I, you know, I, I had to go through a very personal tragic experience that no one else knows about into a worldwide experience that everyone knew about into now yet a third experience where my mother's battling with ALS. So I've been put in a position that very few people have been in, and that sort of sped up my ability to become more comfortable with uncertainty. Mm. Um, but it can be done. You know, it just it takes discipline and some, uh, you know, work and trying to sort of reframe your perspective. But it can be done. Um, you know, it's 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 all possible. Well, I mean, here's to it. Absolutely. Here's to the possibility of change of just the just you know what the possibility of life. I think that's just it. Just At well said. Absolutely. You know, I, I do think um, this is a great time to wrap it up just because this is on. Sure. Man, because, dude, you just you keep like you keep having these like mic dropping moments where I'm just like, OK, like he's done. <laughs> and then you pick it up and you say something more profound. And I'm like, damn it. Just like, bro, we're just the book's getting full of all this like awesome stuff you're saying. Like, I got to let it breathe. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I hope you have fun at the Ario Speedwagon concert. I, uh, I was going to make some like corny joke or something like. I hope you can keep on loving yeah, no, that's, your life or something like that. Or or you heard it from a friend who from heard friend. it from a friend who heard it from a friend. <laughs> yep. friend who, yeah, exactly. Man, and you know what? I, I kind of got a little vibe. Absolutely. would love to have you on again. That would be fantastic. Just because I feel like there's, and I say this very candidly and very genuinely, I, I know whatever life you decide to live is going to be well-lived and it you're dude you're gonna do something i mean the fact like again just all the little things you've been saying just so casually like oh i was gonna try to make a documentary i i write books i i do a podcast it just it i i, I can only hope that we can get, uh, continue our friendship because dude i i'm excited to see where you're gonna grow because I, I know there's gonna be something like there, there's there's gonna be something where i'm like dude like I saw it. I just met the guy one day and I saw it. So here's to open. Well, I, I, I really appreciate that. I look forward to staying in touch with you as well. 
and uh, I'd love to come back on whenever you can have me. So likewise, and I wish you all the best of luck too. Hey, amen, brother. Well, Thanks. wrapping up, I, this is the really fun thing. I trying to figure out how to end this thing. I did mention about the albums. I uh, yes. First off, before I while I grabbed, I'm gonna go grab some albums. You're like, okay, hey, sure, sure. Uh, because you like doom metal. I'm trying to think like if I have anything maybe you haven't heard of. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm most heavy metals. I tend not to listen to uh, really extreme stuff. Some of the, yeah, some of the more extreme. Like I, I'm certainly a huge fan of um, like Doom, Stoner, Sludge, uh, but I'm not really. I'm not so much into like the growling vocals, and uh, yeah, the, the the more extreme you get towards like the death metal type stuff that's not really my bag right um but yeah but otherwise you know i i i'm also a huge fan of all other you know i i love jazz classical um hard rock you know pop i mean whatever it is i'm usually a fan of it do you like ska uh yeah okay yeah yeah like um i was just i was actually just listening to um uh geez i can't believe i'm blanking on their name um Less than Jake. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I uh, I got to see them with Real Big Fish and do they were Oh it nice. Was, it was a yeah, crazy, yeah. crazy, crazy show. But uh no, uh yeah. plug your um website to everyone listening. Okay. How can they contact you if they want to read your book or maybe they just have questions, they want to get to know you more on uh, by all sure. means so share the deeds. The web the website is uh, Andrew Davy.com. That's D-A-V as in Victor, I-E. Um, and that has links to all my short stories, books, the uh, show that I do with my friend Heather called Happy Hour with Heather and Guest. Um, any sort of, uh, basically anything. There's a contact uh, button. So I'm happy to to field any questions about anything. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. That's on the web. There, there are some uh, reviews of books um, and things along those lines. I think that's pretty much it. How do you, um, since the accident, how, how have you been doing with like comedy? Like this, uh, does humor hit differently? Like, is it more subtle? Or? No, no, it's fun. It's what's humor is still the same. It's pretty much just like sadness and, uh, um. I guess love, perhaps joy. You know, joy is in there. It's subtle humor. I still, you know, I still, thankfully, um, you know, humor is still uh, is still in there. Well, there you go. You know, there is the only reason I was asking is because what was I asking now? What something about comedy humor? Oh yeah, there's a comedian. When you mentioned the, uh, so was that '90s or was that '80s for the DIY punk rock movement? The, so the DIY punk rock was '80s, but I, I mean, I graduated in 1996, so I consider the '90s to be my generation. The reason I was asking is I had a comedian. Uh, his name is Keith Lowell Jensen. I had, it, okay. May vaguely check him out. I did an episode with him, uh, maybe a, like two episodes back or something. But uh, he was just describing that too, and that's kind of how he did his comedy. 
was through the the, the kind of the DIY punk scene and and even his story is badass and cool. He's got a special on uh, YouTube. Uh, it's free. You can just watch it. But he um, it's called Not for Rehire. But he has a story where he was working at Kentucky Fried Chicken with this guy, and they had also had kind of like that pad podcast you were describing where he his coworker was this big metalhead dude. He's like, dude, you gotta listen to Metallica. Duh, 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 duh. Mm. But he was a kind of goth kind of I, I, I forgot what the um there's another genre for it though it, it doesn't matter more goth kind of i want to say pop punk but that's not the genre i forgot what the that genre of like the 80s and 90s of like uh depeche mode and um joy division a new wave New Wave, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was more into the goth New Wave kind of sound. He liked Echo and the Bunnymen, you know, that kind of stuff, though. And uh, I don't want to spoil the joke, but um, eventually their friendship, they transcended musical genres. He got him to listen to Echo and the Bunnymen. He got to listen to Metallica. And uh, James uh, Hetfield uh, saw the special and reached out to him, and he got to talk to him. And, uh, yeah, it was was cool. Oh, great. Let's just say he does this thing where he works at Kentucky Fried Chicken and he does something with his hand that he it's nothing gross, but it's like the thing where like, oh, my God, you didn't die. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's check it out. Not yeah. for rehire. Yeah, I will. I will. Uh, I'm just grabbing a couple albums. So I'm like, hey, check sure, sure. Out. I uh, got some black. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll show some. uh black sounded as well okay i think we got nice i got more than enough here though for you uh there's if you really like heavy metal i i i did want to ask can you play video games or do they ever get you dizzy uh i don't know i mean i i i think i'd be fine because i don't think i'd be moving my head um i the last so i was a um obviously a big regular Nintendo guy growing up. And, but then the last system that I really messed around with was Nintendo 64, which, uh, and this was, it, yeah, this was like, um, again, the early two thousands probably was when I stopped playing it. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 again, I, I have a book of essays that I wrote called useless knowledge <laughs> with a question mark. And one of the essays is about, um, the very you know playing uh major league baseball 99 and golden eye uh with friends um and th- that being sort of the highlight of that summer oh dude top tier absolutely i mean and and, fi- and and the 64 console has such relevancy i mean like you go to most colleges and that's they're still playing that i uh play let's just say i play a lot of Sm- uh, smash brothers and uh it's called birio kart have you heard of it I have not. It's Mario Kart where you have to, it's a drinking game too, but you have to like essentially finish your beer before you finish the race. The thing is you can't drink while you're driving. You either have to shotgun the beer and then start driving or you crash, you fall out of bounds and you have to chug it. But yeah, you have to essentially finish your beer before you cross the finish line. And it's, um, gotcha. See, I I, like That's one of those things where I kind of regret that that, that we didn't invent that ah. <laughs> or that that or that wasn't popular when i was because i would play mario kart pretty frequently too so like, dude that sounds so cool um, i will say it's fun until like you're you're doing your sixth race and you're just like oh my god oh, yeah, like, yeah, my, my stomach hurts. Well, 
the the game we used to play that I had the most fun playing in college was called uh, Chandeliers, Chandeliers, which was a version of it was a version of Quarters, okay. um, where you would uh, everyone playing. Would, so Quarters usually you just have one cup. You like bounce essentially trying to bounce a quarter into it, uh, and yeah. you bounce the quarter in there. Yeah. So in Chandeliers, everyone around the table has their own cup that represents them, and then there's one in the middle. Okay. So you try and land the quarter three times in a row and you can make a rule oh, that's um, that that lasts for the whole evening. So one of the best rules always, the first rule was you can't say the word drink or, or any version of the word drink. So that's what there's um there's a, uh, actually a family guy episode from a while back where, uh, Peter and Lois crash uh, a high school party. Was, tell me, I was just thinking about this though when you said quarters, because that's what I was thinking about. It's like she says consume, and yeah, she says so. That's why she says consume and not drink, because someone probably made a rule that you can't say the word drink. That's hilarious. That's so. I, when I heard that, I was like, oh well, they clearly knew how to play uh, quarters or went to call. You know, one of the writers probably drew upon. Uh, experience. See, I had no idea. I just thought she said that because that sounded badass. That's cool. That's the man. I, I mean, it could be. My, I, I, from my own personal experience, we would say consume or imbibe. That was another one. Imbibe. Just. Yeah, you would. You just pointed the. You know, I'm wearing a toga, just thinking about it. Just like yeah. An hour into it, you would get like three. You'd have to remember, like, okay, you can't call someone by their name. They're a comic book character. Ooh. So you'd. You'd be like, all right, Hulk, imbibe, or Hulk, consume, you know, and then um, you'd forget. Oh, God. You'd be like, hey, Steve, imbibe, and then you'd you'd break a rule, you know, your own rule. So, oh, dude, that's, I might steal some of these for, I, granted, man, I can't even drink the same way that I used to. Like, I, I drink a beer, I get a headache, I drink more than that, I'm like. Sure. But uh, if sure. I ever do well, I actually, it, I, um, we'll make it happen. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I quit about a decade ago just because I couldn't. Like so much, too much had changed. Oh, so you're like in your thirties. Yeah, yeah, I was well, but I was still drinking like I was twenty three. Oh, um, so I would get really hung out, and I couldn't. I, you know, I, I, a lot of people I think can make the shift to like, you know what? Rather than having seven beers, I'll just have one. Um, I, I had difficulty making that transition. Hmm. Because I was one of those guys that was like, yeah, this tastes so good and I feel fine. Let me just have another. And then four later, you're like, oh, geez. Well, I guess tomorrow never comes. So I'll be okay. <laughs> I want to I, I, I live forever. We'll just we'll keep drinking. You know, I'll, I'll do it till uh, something stops. Yeah, yeah. So it, it just became easy for me, easier for me to quit outright. Um, so, but I still look back fondly on those games of chandeliers and uh you know all the all the rest of them imbibe imbibe well i imbibe uh, consume 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 that's that's the word of the day consume will be will be the actually i think it might, might be the episode for the podcast i, got, I gotta figure out how i tweak it though but uh that'll perfect be i Sounds very good. quickly rapid fire because i had a point to why i brought up the video game thing okay if you have a computer on steam it's called brutal legend have you heard of it? Oh, is, yeah. Is that with Jack, Jack Black, Black does game. the voice? Yeah. That game changed my life just because I, I was a bit of a music fan, but that really exploded because it's all about heavy metal. 
and you sure. have a car you drive around in the game that has a radio that plays metal songs and a lot of that soundtrack kind of got me into the metal scene that made me even want to start collecting all this music i mean we just talked about you know like little black sabbath like oh yeah dude nice freaking well by the way i see i see these are all vinyl um so heather heather's ebay store she says she sells vinyl um do you um is that going to be on the website or do you have it at least it won't i'll 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 text it to you perfect that'd be great um Granted, I'm trying yeah, to save some I mean, money because this is a damn expensive habit. But no, please, I'd love to. Yeah, well, it, it, I, I'm not sure. Like, I know recently she just added the album Rocks by Aerosmith. Okay. Um, and then there was a Bachman Turner Overdrive's Greatest Hits. That's good. So it's gonna it's gonna be throwbacks mostly. Um, I mean, I do. I like I like throwbacks. There's I think most of yeah, there's yeah. throwbacks in there. And it's it's rel- relatively inexpensive. But I will I will text you the link. Okay. Appreciate that, Andrew. But yeah, sure. no, um, have you ever heard of Brendan Small or Metalocalypse? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. De- Death Club. Yeah. So uh, the, besides that, they're getting a new album, and I think finally finishing the series. I was a big, big fan of Brendan Small, but like, have you ever listened to his self like titled stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Galacticon. Great, yeah, yeah. great, great album though. And then, of course, uh, well, he. I mean, he's he's a legit musician. Like, he went to the Berkeley School of Music, and he, yeah. And the fact that he did music for his original show, Home Movies, and it's just like, oh yeah, I I love Home Movies. I think he's just so slept on. Like, I it, dream sure. it, guessed if he could get on, I I would just be like, just verbally making out with him, telling him how great he is. Just like you're the best in the world. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just watching. Uh, or, or not why, but I, I quoted, um, or I posted, there's a clip on YouTube where, do you remember, um, uh, the two minor characters, Fenton and Perry? Yeah. Who were the high Perry, pitched. Perry, so, oh my God, my yeah. Perry, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So it, there it is, it, perfect. So at one point, some kid is going to fight Brendan, mm. uh, and they jump to his aid. And at one point they begin circling him and he's like, get out of here. And they go, Oh no! Oh no, you didn't! Harry, I got the bloodlust! That's right. I remember he's like, oh, oh, it's just this. Oh, oh no! no. Oh, oh, you didn't! He wants, he wants us to go now! Oh no! Harry, I got the bloodlust! Okay, oh man, dude, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna have some, it, it's, uh, it's overcast in Portland. I'm gonna have a very nice lunch watching some movies kind of stay inside kind of day i think we're gonna tap into home movies as well but um yeah you gotta it is you're right it is it is a slept on show oh, dude and man that's another episode you know if anything the next uh episode we do together let's just talk about pop culture stuff because i love that absolutely you got into the philo- uh, philosophy as well as had that pop culture background because i just feel like stories mean so much more because you can see these parables or these like giant kind of frames of mind or like these ideals and like these people consider oh it's just a dumb movie but it's like you know you can get pull so much more from it or appreciate oh sure uh they just i'm almost done got uh, iron maiden like dude this yeah that that... slaps so hard if uh oh yeah well i um one of the bars I used to go to, I lived in Queens for a little while okay. and there was a dive bar that I would go to and, um, the, they had peace of mind on there. Okay. So I would, I would play revelations. Dude. I, oh my God. Just best friend. Mulberry. And, I love that song. That was the song I was going to say like, dude, that song is so good. Like, 
Yeah. Oh. Well, and and the best was all the watching all the barflies lift their head and look around like who the who the hell is putting on this crap? Exactly. Or or oh, sorry, I meant. But do they? Do you ever get to see the moment where like it picks up, like it goes like you know, it's like bam, bam, like it just in it, or the 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 tempo picks up and people are like, like maybe you start seeing them bob their heads too, like okay, this is, is kind of going. Well, the, the yeah, I mean, this is this was like uh, an Irish bar in Queens uh, with a lot of like blue collar construct. So that that maybe that was happening. I didn't I didn't see it you know overtly, right. but I'm guessing. You know, no one pulled the plug on it. Okay. So I'm sure that they ended up maybe being one over. I, I learned it just takes one. You just need one. And it, that, I, I'm hoping one person was like, this song kicks ass. This is Iron Maiden. That was, like, well, that's, that was my go-to jam at that place. Uh, so, so a lot of Friday nights, they, the, the patrons were treated to revelations. Dude, and just like, honestly, I just, I'm going to be praying life continues to bless you because i mean like this this was not an accident like this is just thank you absolutely well uh, oh speaking of which um you can probably get to it on my website there's a short story i wrote uh called the diary of ingmar bergman okay which um or notes it's like notes from the diary where it was about uh, a movie that he wanted to make in the 50s okay where the four horsemen of the apocalypse come down um and the way to vanquish them is you have to play iron maiden's revelations backwards (laughs) so it was you know it was all anachronistic like none of it made sense because they talk about music from the 1980s and the movies set in 1959 exactly but i i love it just like he just he's like we figured it out though and it's like yeah but that was that was the song that would vanquish the four horsemen of the apocalypse was revelations by iron maiden see i'm afraid to do that to actually like like because i don't want to either summon a demon or summon the forcemen of the apocalypse or uh, like... of course well you, yeah i mean it, i figured if i wrote about it in a story that'd be okay because they're you know it's still very much keeping it uh underneath the curtain see i but i'm i'm such a i, I also love horror movies i'm a big horror like just just devour and i'm afraid because like i really want to do that when we get off this call and I just know sure. I'm going to, again, like, I, I've seen the movies. Like, I'm going to summon a paranormal entity where you're going to be like, yeah. I, I just well, did you, a podcast with that guy. And then you found, like, I'm dead or something. Or I, you know. You'd, uh, it, there's another short story I wrote called The Monster Study. Okay. Which talks about how, um, and this is this is true, uh, the um, survivors of the Khmer Rouge uh, were what inspired Wes Craven to create Nightmare on Elm Street. Because P- P- refugees would die in their sleep, right? And there was no, like, there was no cause for it. So that's one of the things that got him thinking about, like, oh, what if we have somebody who attacks you in your, kills you in your sleep? So vulnerable. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that that would be another one to check out. Okay. But those are all. Those are all. You can find them all on my website. And you, dude, you gave me quite a bit of reading material because I'm gonna definitely be checking that out. Though I um. I just uh, gonna quick show you. I got this is more Judas Priest Turbo. Oh yeah, Judas Priest. I dude, I think this album slept on. I I always joke, but like I feel like this was the album where Rob Halford's like, I don't care if people know if I'm gay. I'm gonna show just how because this is great, but this is just like this is, and I I'm, I'm saying this with absolute this. I would say this is probably the gayest heavy metal album. But like the like I mean I love it because I'm just like I would go to the bars. I'm like fuck yeah like. 
private property. Like, keep keep your hands off. I'm like, yeah, dude. Like, tell those boys to kick rocks. Yeah, the, one of the interesting things we talked about on the show with Martin, A Fistful of Faceful, was um, that Rob Halford basically changed the dress of have Like, people began wearing leather um, because of him. Badass. And he was expressing himself because that was the only, you know, being in leather bards in London was the only way he could feel comfortable being himself, which just good for him. So it was interesting. And then, and then once he came out, no one cared. That was, I thought, I always thought that was so cool. Like people just accepted him for who he was and it just became part of the show. Cause he wasn't like, I mean, he was hiding in a sense like he wasn't being like very, but he was being, he's just being as genuine himself. Now he's like, okay, I'm also gay. Or like, by the way, I've been gay. And they're like, dude, like, you're, you've been cool the whole time. Like we're, yeah. 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 No, that was, I always thought that was really like the one thing I'll say about the metal scene in terms of, because we do, Heather and I do speak to bands and we do try to promote stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone has been really cool uh, and really welcoming and really open about whomever you are. It's, it's one of the, it's funny because like on writing Twitter, it's really cutthroat and very much, you know, but the metal Twitter is usually promoting other bands and people, you know, just being in an open place. So it's really cool. And what you wouldn't think from a, such an aggressive music genre, people would be so loving and caring, but they really do. They're like, hey, we want to, you know. Yeah, no, it's great. Want to see y'all succeed. I uh, I got Megadeth here. I got a Motorhead album. I like, nice. I, I got upset because like, I thought these guys were going to be ultra hard Nazareth. But like the, that album cover, you can't see it though, but like, the, 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 look at this monster. Yeah yeah not very heavy they, yeah i mean does that is love hurts their version of love hurts on that one no i think that's in the other one okay dude, yeah. even that album cover has like i think like a dog dragon on there it's so cool looking but it's just like yeah they're not the the visual doesn't match up with the audio exactly and then this is i the last one this is more i don't know if you know them they're called pelican oh yeah yeah instrumental yeah don't yeah, do like i um they're great you mentioned about Doom and Sludge. They're, well, they're more know, progressive. Well, yeah. I just meant more of the fact that, like, the kind of genre as far as, like, Doom and Stoner being, like, very kind of, I don't want to say drawn out, but it's, like, definitely, like, longer riffs. But, I mean, it's, like, you kind of, it's almost kind of like Prague, but if you, like, slowed it down. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But I uh, do you have any Sludge or Doom or Stoner metal you recommend? Um. What about, yeah, I mean, well, Sleep is probably my favorite contemporary band, even though they're not playing as regularly as they used to. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they're they're the one, the the, the probably the only uh, stoner doom metal I know because of that famous artwork cover of, uh, it's Dope Smoker, right? The one that's got the weird... Yeah, Dope, yeah and Dope, Dope Smoker, I think, is like, it's. I mean, it's one track that's like 62 minutes long. Jeez, yeah, exactly. It's thought of to be sort of like the holy grail of stoner metal. I, I am a big fan of the band Crowbar from New Orleans. They're Ooh, sludge metal. They um, sound fun. Crowbar. Yeah, Crowbar is good. Um, who else? I mean, I'm trying to think of uh, contemporary bands. I got into a band uh, that I think is from Norway called Purple Hill Witch. Um, that just sounds badass. Purple yeah, well, Hill the, Witch. I, the, yeah. the I really dig the singer's voice. He's kind of got, he's got more of a high pitch, like Ozzy, uh, Rob Halford type. Okay. Thing. 
Um, there's I hate a band... to, to ask for homework, but bro, if you can send me these, yeah, bands, yeah, yeah, I would course. love to listen to it. This sounds incredible. Yeah, okay. well, Pur- Purple Hill Witch, you can. I know their albums. They have they have multiple albums on YouTube. Um, and then there's a band called Slow Green Thing from Germany. Slow Green Thing. It's really good. God, it's such a such a fun metal name is always so fun. Yeah, and, and they're, they're they're really great. They were gonna. Um, them and a couple of other bands are going to let us we're going to put out a compilation uh we've we've put out one before uh we're going to put out another one so they they will let us have tracks that we can put out um, okay yeah happy hour with heather and guest uh compilation volume one has some oh, bands dude. on it this one if you can find a wax like a wax uh like a guy to like make a vinyl like to make that whole thing i, I would buy in a heartbeat dude absolutely Thank you. Yeah, th- I think at this point we've kept everything digital just because it's easy. You know, you can upload it all to Bandcamp yourself. Um, Absolutely. At some point, maybe it'd be cool to. I mean, we've we we've talked about possibly doing like a festival at some point um, in the future. You know, there you go. Dream big, think big. That's sort of how we operate now. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll look into 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 doing. I mean, that's how. I remember reading uh, or see there's a great documentary called American Hardcore, which is about the punk movement in the 80s. Is that? No, I'm thinking of the fall of Western civilization. It's called American Hardcore. Yeah, that that's yeah, it's American Hardcore. There's one interview with Ian Mackay, who was in a band called Minor Threat and then later Fugazi. Um, and he talked yeah, about yeah. when they were in Minor Threat. They went to a record store, bought an album, unfolded the gatefold to it, saw how it was designed, went and got it copied somewhere, went and looked up a a printing plant in the phone book, got like a hundred albums made, and then sat with scissors and Elmer's glue and a stencil and cut out the album, glued it together, and then would go and sell them you know, because that's they were they didn't know that is so freaking punk rock. I love that. Yeah, well, they just didn't they didn't know like the way I'm doing air quotes now the way to do it. So it was just like okay, that that was my inspiration for making the the documentary about Iran Barkley. I was like, okay, well, I don't technically know how to do this, but I'm guessing if I sit him in a chair and I ask him questions and I film it, and then I cut it together, then that's a documentary. There you go. It's there was um I was I was just looking up um I was just thinking about the stud band names. I think that's something we'll end on because I think I said we were gonna end the episode like fifteen minutes later and I just dude like man this is this dangerous. I talk about music or pop culture with you. We're gonna be here for like another hour hour thirty. Well let's uh, yeah let's we'll pick this up another time. Give me a fun band name like either fun metal band name or punk band name. I I remember. There were there was two. I, I'm trying to find. I had a list, but one was uh, called uh, "All These Batteries Are Broken." That's a good one. Well, I can give you. Um, but my uh, brother and I started a band. Um, I mean, just just to like just to have fun. Right? He he plays the bass guitar, so we just recorded some tracks on uh, Bandcamp okay. or not. Band, I whatever the software was, um, and we were called the Van Damned. The Van Damned, the Rob Van Dam, which was also a play on Jean Claude Van Damme and just the Damned. Um, so that was right. That was fun, and I think you can actually get 
our music for free on Bandcamp. I think the Van Damned, the first album is on there. The Van Damned. Okay. I got to say, I feel like that, I, I'm going to look you up, but I, I swear I feel like someone, that, 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 that name's too good that I would think that other people would have that too. I would I would have thought so too, but when I looked it up, I didn't see any bands with that name. The Van Damned. It's, uh, have you ever seen, uh, speaking of The Damned, have you ever seen um, Baby Driver? Yes. Okay. It's excellent. Excellent soundtrack. Love, love, love that movie. You know what? I, again, I got to be careful. Sure. That's a, that's a, that's a sing that's a Sarlacc pit of nerd that we'll just jump right into. Uh, Drew, seriously, it's been an absolute pleasure having on you. If uh, my uh, any of the guests are interested in any, again, like I mentioned, the, the stories you've written, want to know more about you as a person, we have your website. I'll also make sure to put it in the description. Uh, sincerely, this has been an absolute blast. I was not, I knew this was going to be a good episode. I didn't think I'd have nearly as much like, oh my God, I'm having the best time. So uh, thank you for today. Appreciate that. Well, thank you. Yeah. And and anytime you want to do this again, just let me know. Metal, absolutely. Well, guys, again, uh, I'm Tristan. This is my friend, Andrew. And you listen to another born, well, not so ordinary person with an extraordinary story that's not quite finished yet. Thanks again, everybody. Have a good night. And... Thank you yet again for listening to another episode of Ordinary People, Extraordinary Stories. If you happen to know someone or believe you yourself have an extraordinary story to tell, shoot me an email at opespodcast at gmail.com. That's opes, just like the podcast, O-P-E-S, podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to have you on. Thank you so much again, and stay safe out there.